This is Shaka Wart speak. So this is the this is the thing, dude. Oh, man, here's the thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> it's not just that that possibility is. So here's the thing. That's a discoverable possibility, right? Like somebody discovers this, they figure it out, and then they play it. And then they can transfer that knowledge to you and it makes sense. And then perhaps you can do it too. But it requires mastery and skill, or right? So it, it requires a fine-tuned ear. It, 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 there's requirements, but it is, it is possible because it happened. Which then says, well, there's probably more. And then, so then you flip it into the analogous and you say, oh, and visually, like I got these two kind of garish colors and I put this third color and all of a sudden it, it negotiates the two colors. It alters my perception of it. I'm saying that that is part of, I mean, as a, a kind of an axiom, like that is the nature of reality. Like, um, I, I just have to be kind of a, a weird dude and say like, that's on purpose, I think. Like, I think the world, I think we are made and the world is made. Therefore, we accord with the world and we get glimpses of it. And it kills us to not live in the unity that we glimpse. Because the unity that we, that we experience in moments like that uh, doesn't become reductive. It actually begats more. And so there's a profundity to it. There's like a, I, I'm glimpsing, you know, some people call it the sublime, the transcendent. I would say that it's made so, you know, from like a theological perspective, I think there is something there and it's actually part and parcel to what the way things are like ought to be, not to make it too weird, but this is just me coming. This is me talking. That's all. But, um, and we don't have, you don't have to, nobody has to agree with me, but, um, I will say that that's it. Like, uh, uh, there is intentionality. I've said it once in a podcast years ago. I said the world, the earth and the world are like an instrument begging to be played begging to be figured out. And it's the kind of instrument that can't be played by one person. Um, and so all of us are like fumbling around and you're like, Oh, pigment. Oh, chords. Oh, this, this resonates like, and we're, 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 we're either playing it or I think, uh, we're violating it. We're like raping it. And so, um, and I think because of our folly, a lot of us are raping the, uh, the world, if you will both humans and the world around. And, and so, but we get these moments, like we get these moments that say, oh, it's supposed to be something different and it's not. Like I was watching a dumb, it's not a dumb video, but it was dumb, you know, it's like a tug on your heartstrings video and it's like this gorilla meets this, um, this guy who put him back into the wilderness and, uh, and he brings his wife. And so the one gorilla is like, um, you know, he, he accepts her, they have to wait. And he's like, Mwah. and there's like a uptick in the gurgle of a, of I accept you that the, the main dude knows. So he's like, okay, my wife's accepted. And before you know it, the gorilla is like, he's kind of romancing the lady. Like he's <laughs> into her, like it's obvious. And so he's sitting, he, he's, he does the first thing where it's like, hug me. So she hugs him and then, then he's sitting behind her and he's, he's like, she's just leaning and he's just chilling there. Like, <laughs> then he grabs her hat and he walks away gently. And he puts the hat on and he's like trying to put it over his head. And he's patting it down, trying to keep it on. This is like in the wild, man. And this is like a gorilla who, for the last ten years, didn't see anybody with a hat on, as far as as far as they know, right? 
And so, um, and you know, there's 50 million, like, um, there's 50 million, uh, um, examples of like these encounters and you're like, yeah, I think that, I think it's supposed to be like that, but then there's tons more like where it's poachers and like there's depravity and there's asymmetry in ways that, um, there's like a profound inward brokenness that, that does not permit this to be as it should. So we see it enough to kind of cry out and say things aren't right. And we suffer for it um, because there is an oughtness that appears to be there. I'm making huge leaps here, but I mean, we could spend hours going through this, but um, I get excited because like when you're describing what you're describing off air about music, because I actually think that that's on purpose. Like I think, in that that the world works this way doesn't exclude coming to understand more that is still mystery or paradox to us. Um, and it doesn't mean that we as um, infinite beings can have it all. So this goes back to the way we left the conversation, which was um, uh, you talked about like sort of like could somebody like how much is enough for someone in their capacities and their privileges and their um, – you know, how do we deal with this? And it's like, it's a weird question in the sense that if there's no, if nobody divvies up the capacities, then it really is a randomized state that um, demands a kind of infinitely regressive answer to the problem of like, how, how come some and not others? Like there's a, it's really an infinite regress. Like we can't really get to an answer for, for like why, some can make and some can and some have the resources to make and others don't, but they want to. And, you know, you, we, we have a mutual friend, you know, not saying any names, but you're like, dude, why aren't you doing this? You know what I mean? Yep. And some of us come out of different experience where it's like, gosh, if we had what, you know, we're like able to say, well, we had, we had what they had, we'd be doing it differently. That's right. But the only reason why we know that is because we didn't have it. By lacking? By lacking. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so so what I'm saying is like, yeah. so is that all just random and happenstance or is there something more going on? And I'm just saying that if we try to answer it um, outside of the, there's there's more going on, it will land us in a, in a kind of an infinite regress, you know, if that makes sense. Like to put it another way, like to put it in a totally different context. Um, well, I won't use my, my wife's, but I'll, I'll, you know, my stepdad that raised me was a jerk. He's a terrible dad. He's, he's, um, one line of it was very abusive. On the other hand, though, he did step in and like pay the bills. And he did some things that I, I couldn't give him credit for as a kid. And I, I blamed him for, for so much. But I also know what he, he was working with with his dad, which was a man that abandoned him when he was seven on his birthday. And he only found out later when he reconnected with his dad that his dad had to leave because his dad had a whole separate family and a whole separate set of siblings from the five that my, my dad had, my stepdad. So the man was married to two wives and had two sets of five kids. So, so it's like, okay, <laughs> so what does my stepdad do? Well, he has extramarital affairs with my wife, I mean, my mom, but he doesn't, we never, I never, I never got to find out if there was an extra set of siblings. I don't believe that there is. And so he, he did a little better, <laughs> but, but relative to me, it sucked, right? But relative to him, he was working out of the best that he could offer outside of some kind of divine intervention. Like, this is the best he could do. And it's such a hard pill because I want to lay blame. And then it's like it regresses back to his dad. And then I got to believe, like, shoot, man, guarantee you there's some story there. So where does it end? 
And then you're like, I, I mean, where does it end? So that's a negative example to talk about the regress, but it's just to say that um, we are um, seeing, uh, sorry, I'll, 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 st- I'll close my rant, but seeing is, is, and I love that you said it's with the senses. And, and what I'm saying is we are one big uh, infinite, or sorry, finite uh, sensory relational being um, in a world that's so teeming with sensory things that, uh, you know, um, there's crazy creatures under the ocean that we've only discovered recently that are, you know, fluorescent, bio, biofluorescent light shows happening underwater that are anticipating our arrival. And, and they've been down there for eons and dazzling light shows. And yet we, we have to like know a whole bunch to get to the point to discover that. I don't know, man, that's really interesting. And so seeing to me is knowing. So uh, seeing is knowing fully in a lot of ways. And until we see things for, for what they really are, we won't know ourselves for who we are. We really are. Um, and I think that then the arts um, flow out of us. And um, this is my last statement. The arts flow out of us because, or so we work with that which is, and the arts come in relationship to that which is and, and what is in us. And so um, they converge into compri- comprise objects of value and meaning and expression, <coughs> excuse me, that give sense to our longings and um, raise questions and bring clarity to the, the world as a material place and a spiritual place that we find ourselves in but only because that world's there before we ever lift a finger. Hmm. So um, it's there before us, not there because of us is the distinction I would want to make. And because that's the distinction, we are, um, that's why I think it's possible to live in a world where we saw things for what they were and there was no art, but that's because we're too easily satisfied. So, if, if you remove suffering and we see the world the way that it is, we may have a totally different paradigm for celebrating the world that is and for making in ways that bring kind of like a glory and an honor or a exaltation, a praise almost, like a chorus of like a, a, a globalized symphony that is uh, so on top of the majesty of the world we find ourselves in that we are enraptured. That's a totally different state, and I'm, I'm not even doing it justice by the way that I'm saying it. But it's so it's so beyond the upside downness of the world we find ourselves in that we're we're over here making things going. This seems to try to get at something that I think is there, and you can't you can't see it. Can you can you see it? Like when you talk to people at the store, and they walk up to you, and you got a script. Are you seeing that? Are you seeing the person? Or are you just seeing another mannequin? Like, are we seeing each other and we're missing it? And I think that's the burden that a lot of artists, if they're willing to take it on, will suffer and bear is we're on an upside down world right now. But we got some kind of sense that there's something more. And uh, forgive the huge monologue introduction, but (laughs) yeah. That's a huge pill to swallow, so I don't expect it to all go down well or make sense. I'm glad you're you're pulling all of that together because... Um, wow. And this was, uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Before we started recording, I was talking about, um, 
uh, polytonality and uh, how dissonances can be made into consonances through sort of intermediary pitches. Um, and, and, it, and it is interesting coincidence that it, I think that metaphor does sort of fit right into um, what we've been talking about, you know, with the, because I guess it, it sort of gets back to what I was trying to say in the, the last um, discussion about how, like, you know, like the reality is it being a two way street mm -hmm. that like seeing is an act. It's not something that happens passively. Like we see the world, like the world reveals itself to us through our action, not through our, our passive reception, you know? Um, and, uh, like, you know, um, yeah, seeing is believing, but it's also believing is seeing. You know, there's certain patterns in the world all around us, certain tendencies and stuff that if you don't have that, the knowledge base, it, it goes right past you. Could I, could I be, a, could I be snarky? Uh -huh. Is that okay? Not, so I just want to go one step further. I'm in total agreement with you, but I want to go a step further. Mm -hmm. So only thing I want to say is this, <clears throat> when we say that it's two way street and so that I, like, I agree with you, like seeing is, seeing and knowing is a. Um, an active state of being mm -hmm. and then things are revealed to us. You said, you know, like, so things are revealed to us. I just want to go one step further in the negative and say, actually reclining in, in passivity is also part of the revealing of the way things are because we're afforded the ability to do that. And yet the world's so abundant that things creep in, in our most latent suppressive passivity. So what I'm trying to say is like, life is like a, um, uh, there, there's something going on here that's more other friends of use illustration, but more like when you try to hold down a, uh, um, like a, uh, ball in the, in the, in a pool, like a big floaty ball, you have to keep suppressing, which is an active practice. You have to actively do that. So it actually takes an act of the will to be passive. Um, there's, there's no neutrality. So it's that's an active, a good point. And so, so when, so when you let your arms off the active suppression and the passivity, what happens the ball pops up and hits you in the face and it's too much to bear. So people have what I like to call, this doesn't give me so much trouble. I call it woke fragility. No, there's a, <laughs> there's a fragility that is uh, permeating us because the, the buoyancy of the world I'm talking about. And so you are invited into a, um, a actual metaverse that is real. We don't have to fake a fake one because we're, we, we haven't figured out the real one. Yeah. So, so we're in this real one where discoveries like you're talking about as far as um, you call it po poly polytonality, polytonality. So um, all I, I just want to, I want to like demand more in the framework of what we're talking about and saying like, it's not even two dimensional. I'm, yeah. I'm absorbing the atmosphere I'm in and I'm finite. So I have to locate myself in a absolute, um, five-dimensional reality that is permeating me because I, when I'm reclined, my heart's still beating. When I'm reclined and sleeping and or trying to be passive, I'm having to, I'm struggling with anxiety because I know I ought to be doing something. I mean, you, there's, it's a, one of my favorite quotes twisted for, or the, the title to Jim Morrison's book, nobody gets out of here alive for me from a totally different belief system makes a lot of it. Like it makes a lot of sense. Like you, you can't get out of this world. Um, 
like alive um, because it re- well, to live is to know that there's some kind of end in sight. Mm-hmm. So to try to act as though you're immune to that is unavoidable. Like you, nobody gets out of here, you know, alive. You're going to die. Right. So all your avoidance now, all your suppression of the truth now of what can be known is not going to change that. This mm-hmm. world is intense. Um, and we've tried to dull it into something that's completely not. So anyhow, not to be high, I, I forgive me for if I'm being hijacky. It's just, I just wanted to push on that part and say like, it's, it's, um, in the totality, we have to focal, we have to have like a focal point of conversation or the, the mutuality you're talking about, but it's not to the exclusion of the fact that even in my worst state, something is being revealed. Like, like when I'm down and out and laying in the middle of a street in my worst state, death is being revealed, right? Like the failure of our bodies is being revealed. The weakness of my heart and the need for help is being revealed. Like there's nothing excluded from that. It's the, it's the persistence of life, life until the last bit of breath. Like it's, it's, um, I just want to demand the intensity that I think we are actually running from because I think, I think that's where, art has something to say about it, I guess. So anyhow, yeah. I'll, I'll try to do better. I apologize. I've drank too much coffee today. No, I mean, I think, I mean, that's, now I just want to go paint. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, now I'm just, I'm, I'm now, you, now you got me revved up. Like, yeah, like, yeah, demand that intensity. Um, because, I'm never going to go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I was just thinking another way, uh, I think, um, you know, because I know that a lot of a lot of our listeners are visual artists. I think an, an analogous idea that might be more familiar is in color theory, simultaneous contrast. You know, when you add another color to a composition, um, or even the way our eyes work, um, you know, we have this sort of center surround system, color opponency cells in our eyes and you know and in art uh to be put simply you know when you put down a color onto a painting you're not just seeing that new color in the context of what's around it but you're seeing the other you're seeing the context differently now mm-hmm. in relation to that new color and so that's what i mean you know, I, I try explaining this to my students it's very difficult like you know talking about how like you know, the sensory motor function of the eyes and everything like that. And, um, but yeah, it's, everything is acting on everything all the time. hundred percent. And, and that's just hard I think, for people because we have this, uh, too narrowly a kind of, uh, a, a linear kind of mechanistic causal mm-hmm. way of thinking that, uh, stepping back and thinking about, um, well, you were getting at a, a kind of wholeness, a kind of, and I know in my own personal experience that losing sight of that wholeness uh, is at the root of all of my regrets. Like every time I've ever behaved in a way where I feel deeply ashamed, um, or any time I've ever been uh, cruel to a person undeservingly it's always comes at a moment 
where I am the furthest from that awareness of um, a greater wholeness to the situation mm-hmm. because it's uh, that that retreat from the world, that kind of actively pushing back, I think does rob us of our capacity for empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you really do strive, and of course, you know, this isn't because we're finite, you know, this is a, a lifelong endeavor, mm-hmm. you know, it's not something that can ever be done into to perfection. But when you can step back and sort of, as you did, demonstrated beautifully talking about your stepfather, it, um, I feel like that kind of reflection robs us of the self-absorption we need to act uh, out of cruelty towards one another. You know, you can't justify it to yourself if you take the time to see everyone as being a part of this bigger system where everything is acting on everything. Mm-hmm. You know, I see you're, so not to when we let you guys jump into, I don't want to, but just to, just to pinpoint that and say like, that's actually what I mean when I say you're suppressing, you know, so the, the ball. So, cause if you listen, if you listen to our thoughts, if you listen to like even this conversation and someone's out there listening, one of the things that you're, you're bumping into, I think for me, from, from my perspective is, um, if we, if we hold on to a, um, um, I mean, we're all friends here. So we, like I said, there's really freedom to screen. Even if you're listening, you know, these are thoughts as they're happening, but these are always up, up for grabs. So, but if you're listening, if you think about things as in from a, a, a very, um, humanistic or man centeredness, then you run into these conundrums because you can't be infinite. So that means you can't be, like you said, you can't rightly, you can't be perfect. You cannot do that because it's not even a part of the way we're constituted because, uh, and by perfection, I mean, um, complete without lack. Um, so, so we will necessarily, we are necessarily in a world that is causal and, uh, um, everything is impacting everything. And so, um, it demands intervention. So like we're, we are not at the center. So when we try to operate at the center of reality, um, and then we start to operate as not just humanity at the center, but also then ourselves at the center individually, we necessarily have to suppress. We have to actively exert so much energy to reductively narrow everything to um, the point that purports or supports our um, first assumption, which is we're at the center. We're the most important thing. We're the most important being. And so um, we, we, when we when we operate in the center, the spokes that come off the hub don't don't actually work. Things don't spin properly. We're we're more we are more of a a spoke than a hub. And when we confuse that, it creates greater confusion everywhere else. And so I, I think you see that really well. We are at the exposure of more information than any other time in human history, and we're more confused than ever. It's not like we're we're on top of everything. I mean, things are pretty rough right now. So if knowledge is so key or information, then we, um, that first premise would, we should look differently, but we don't, we really don't. And to your point, um, when you suppress, when you push down that, uh, that, uh, self-focused is what would allow one to, um, it's kind of like a self-righteousness or a bent inward is what would allow someone to enact egregious harm on somebody else. Mm-hmm. 
because their world has been narrowed to themselves. Now, if there's someone greater um, or something greater, uh, that at least starts the conversation on, well, maybe that's the reference point. That's the, so when I enter, when I enter the room, my kids are all fighting. They're too in the same plane to really do much about it. So when I come in and I enter in and I pick them up and I separate them, which they don't do this very much anymore because they're bigger, but you separate them out. You know, I come in as their father and I separate them out and then I talk to them and I humanize them back to what they ought to be through conversation, through love, through sacrifice, through coming in and actually like sitting them down. I still do. It's comical. Like they'll come and I had to walk them through fighting downstairs, uh, playing a video game, which they rarely do. And uh, I was like, you know, I just had to go who decided the conversation was X, like who said they were going to play. And then Miles is like Oliver. And I was like, okay, is that correct? And Oliver's like, yes, that's correct. I said, who was going to play second? Well, I asked to play second. He said, I could. Okay, great. So who's going to play third? Well, Ivory came down <coughs> and I, I was going to let her play. And Ava's like, well, I was supposed to play. And I was like, Oliver, did you make disorder out of the order you established? And he's like, well, yeah, but Ava already played. And I was like, looked at Ava and I was like, oh, interesting. So Ava, you, you actually already played. You were saying that you were supposed to play next. You didn't say you hadn't played yet. <laughs> and then she goes, oh, yeah. So I had come down and actually played already. <laughs> and I was like, and then Oliver standing like this. And I was like, so <laughs> Oliver was actually being reasonable and actually kind to his sister. He was being sacrificial. He was sacrificing his turn. And she goes, yes. <laughs> I was like, so what do we need to do? Like, so it started with Ava being the one to, I love you, Ava, sorry, being the one to, to say this, right? Like, hey, Oliver's not being fair. It turns out Oliver's being fair. I had to walk him through it. <coughs> and then we all uh, shook hands and they went back and I said, can we practice this without getting emotional? And I said, yes. I was like, great, go do it. And they pulled it off for about 20 minutes. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, but I, we don't. My point is, we don't have. We, you need that. Yeah, well, you know, as as you are talking, <coughs> the, the the binary I mentioned in the last episode was the one of active versus passive, which I employ a lot in my class, especially talking about um, professional practice. You know, are you are you, are you actively a maker or are you passively a maker? That mm -hmm. is, do you just kind of like you know, are you are you a jellyfish in the sea, and sometimes you flow over the right sandbar, and you call that creativity, or are you somebody that's like doing things? But I th and I think that's a that's a fine kind of binary to place on it in terms of just giving a stark kind of a reality of what it looks like to be involved in the physical reality we live in. But it's a difficult one because it, on one level it's kind of a lie, right? So I have let me make a weird connection to this. Uh, I have these two yellow armchairs in uh, my living room, and they are I mean they're 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 remarkably yellow. Like you're not going to confuse them for anything. So. Um, There'll be some nights I'll be watching TV. I'll fall asleep on the couch. I'll wake up, and there'll just be, like, the blue screen from the Apple TV turning off. And that blue screen is just reflecting in the dark room. And the other night, I woke up, and I was startled because those chairs had suddenly turned dark green. And it was, it was like, vividly dark green. And it jarred me because this thing that, in my mind, is completely passive became the most active part of the room. Mm -hmm. And it just made me think within the context of this conversation – there's no such thing as passivity. Like it's not, it's not real because if we believe that there's a, a physical world we can actually exert ourselves upon, then, then when do we get the choice? When do we have the strength to turn that off? Mm -hmm. So instead, so 
you know, perhaps I have to go back and readjust a few presentations well, and lectures yeah. because it's an, it's an active towards like that wholeness that we're kind of like talking about. And there's kind of that underlying aching that we're referring <clears throat> to, or it's like an active towards what you're talking about, Ryan, uh, of a, of a breaking of all that stuff, right? Yeah. The, where we, it becomes more and more fractured. So what is the active pursuit? And I think for a lot of artists, the, the underlying desire, the active pursuit is more of that wholeness, that connection, that understanding, that kind of peeking behind the curtain at the deeper reality. Um, I think that's more of the space, uh, even, even away from passivity, but I think it puts a lot more, a lot more punch into the conversation. Like with what you're saying, if we are like, yeah, it's, it's not a passivity necessarily, but it is an activeness in the wrong direction. Yeah. That's so I always say, so from a, I always say, well, shoot. I think, so how do you say this? If we, if you said, okay, um, if we are here by accident, then we, we, you know, then, then you, you come upon things, right. And it's chance acting on matter. It's dynamic, but there's chance acting on matter. And you have like these demands and conditions that maybe kind of forge complex life forms, right. There's this kind of thing. If it's the other way, if, if <clears throat> there's that even plus, like, so you might say that we are, if, if there's like a kind of a, from a theistic perspective, if there is something, the something, something gives this to us and we are the passive recipients of a gift that is embedded with latent potential, both in the stuff of the world and in us as part of the world. But the passive, uh, is a, is a proper passive meaning we're just not the one who generated this, but, but so, but so here, so, so here's what I'm saying though. But, um, at the point of, of that happening, we are now in a perpetual state of life, which is working towards the gift given or in, in, in kind of rejection of it. Um, so faithful to that has been given or faithful, uh, uh away from, you know, so kind of what you're saying, but I mean, that's how I think about it. We either steward and cultivate that, which is as not the, the, the highest power. Um, so with a little bit of a, 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 a starting point of gratitude, mm-hmm. grateful for, for living in a world where, you know, I can make coffee that has an aroma or I can, uh, watch cows eat green grass, which creates white milk, which is a book that we read white milk that actually strengthens your bones but that i mean just i mean just that alone is staggering so you can go watch cows at a pasture and somehow what they're going to do is going to be good for your bones and they get in green grass turns to white milk it's it's weird man like if you really but so so there's a gratitude from the gifts that are given that then we are active recipients of and and we either um do we either figure out how much is there all this latent potential or we squander it mm-hmm. and we defame it and we um, kind of defile it, if you will. And it, just the, the raw materiality of, rea- of, of reality. <clears throat> I think that's why suffering is in the, in the mix, actually. I think when you reject that, you, you're, um, you suffer for misaligning yourself as the center in a lot of ways. And then um, when people don't worship you as the center, well, then, you, then you're miserable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, even when you make good things, it's not, you know, how many artists make great paintings and it's not good enough. Yeah. The, the adulation, the adoration of other people is not good enough or, you know, um, as one more color, I got to adjust, you know, I mean, I'm guilty of that. 
But anyhow, Ian. Ooh, welcome to Cards. Opening all the can can of worms, man. Um, cans. I don't know where there's. Yeah. I mean, you're you're keying into like chance versus design. There's a lot of elements of that. There's one thing that I kind of everything that you're. It was like a sermon earlier I on the know, podcast. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I'm gonna have to listen to that one again. But it's uh, there. It seems like there's an underlying sort of like simple statement. At least how I was. I don't want to dilute it by any means. But it seems like there's no lack of connection in any way there's only the failure to see it and when we start talking about a harmony between music and color that there's there's these instruments to be played there's an, a super connectivity to everything that is and in moments like you mentioned Huxley before there's moments of either extreme bliss of maybe yogic yoga trance uh psychedelically induced and in, that peers open these moments and in those moments of absolute lucidity you get a real sense of that connectivity and there is a sort of paralyzing effect there's it's almost like putting words on it it seems insulting to the beauty of things that are and i i we talked about like the the passive versus active like there's big part of me because I've been on psychedelics before I've practiced yoga for 15 years now that what is going on it, it it was like insulting to say that oh this is what it, I'll just put this word on it oh this is how you define this thing and there's there's some sense that if you are in those moments there is in some sense like a force pass passivity like you're you have to sit back and just be in a state of awe and but at the same time, there's the active feedback. You're apprehending reality. Your brain is making sense of the world and naming things and presenting the color. Like there is this beautiful connection between consciousness and reality and this backfeeding loop that we find ourselves constantly in the middle of. And I think when you start describing it beautifully as you did, and Miguel, honestly, everyone has combined into this. There's uh I don't know, like I feel myself more keyed in, like my vision starts sharpening, my the language inside my head, the internal monologue becomes sharper, uh, like reality is honed in these perspectives and these moments. And I mean, that's what's so important of doing podcasts like this and even conversations like this um, is to be more active in this world, to take part in these these ways and such that we're talking about now and, and the beautiful act of creation, like it, it is to be more active yet at the same time, observing everything that is, is like pacifying. Like it is, it stops you in your tracks. And it, it was the same thing when I'm listening to you guys talk, like I'm just sitting back and just taking it in. Uh, I don't know if that, that makes me like passive in that moment. Well, I would say, so the, I always have to go to this for for their clarity because I, I completely agree with what you're saying. And I think really where it's a, it's a semantic discussion right now, right? Uh, yeah, in yeah. terms of yeah, passive yeah, yeah. and active, which is super because, fun, by the way. I love yeah, I love this. Uh, I'll be semantic all day with you. Um, yeah, just do a sub podcast <laughs> called you know, Shaco Semantic Space. Yeah, romantic. <laughs> I would call it romantic semantics. <laughs> romantic semantics. Yeah. It's true hey, we're workshopping the idea still. Yeah. Send in your suggestions, <laughs> but. uh I think it's the same way. So if you had a guy that was like, "Hey, I want to want to really bulk up in the gym," and they're there and they're I've pumping never said weights, that. sorry, me neither. I mean, I've said it, but I've never followed through. Yeah. So uh, you know, they're 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 pumping weights and then they stop. Is that break in between sets? Is it truly passive? 
because it's still active towards a goal. That's right. And I think that's the place where we're probably just using different words to talk about it right. the exact same way. Well, in that moment, absolutely not, because the muscle actually grows in rest. Yeah. It's, you break it down through the act of working out. So it's, it's yeah. And some I mean, there literally is no passivity possible. Yeah. I mean, that even, seems like, like in this conversation, like even when we're quiet, we're actively involved in the conversation. Right. No, we're present. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's and, the difference. And I think that's what it is. So yeah. when you talk about, when I yeah. talk about things, when I hear the word passivity, I think it's almost like somebody who's saying, oh, despite all the things that I've experienced in my life, I am saying that I'm able to step out of this. Yeah. That's why I, yeah. that's why I that's would use impossible. the word. So, like you said it first and it triggered it for me. Miguel said it first. He said depression. Yeah. I, th- that's why I would say it's suppressing. So like um, suppressing, suppressing the truth of what can be known. Like you're suppress, you're you're mm. um, right. even. So I I'm just gonna be like okay. So one of my favorite authors, his name is Cal Sitterfeld. He he says this kind of quote about like the weird dynamic of um, Moses going into the mountain and he sees a burning bush and he can, and God talks to him through a burning bush and you're like what the heck? But the bush doesn't get consumed and this voice is booming voice is coming through. And he's like you can't see me. You got to wait till I pass by. And he says, take your shoes off your own holy ground. And so Cal Servold says that the whole earth is is a burning bush and we just fail to take our shoes off. Like we don't recognize it for what it is. Um, and I love that picture because while that's happening, the people down at the bottom, at the base of the mountain, the Israelites at the bottom of the mountain, they're building a, a gold cow. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, so they're like, hey, take all this jewelry and we're going to make this calf and we're going to worship this. And this contrast between this made thing and this bush burning speaking like it almost sounds like a hallucinogenic kind of dream or something like that right but um the but but the interesting thing is the fire that's burning up here is also the fire that purifies the golden calf uh to make it melt into the form of a calf and so um there's something about the way we're dispositioned we're ordered towards the making in relationship to something more And like in the reason why I bring that up is for me, I think it gets at what's going on, but also how we, we misread it in suppressing what's true. And so then we, we reorient ourselves to the making in a way where we demand what we've made to do something it's not meant to do. It can't supersede the bush that's burning, but it can point to it, but not unless you're willing to accept that there is a burning bush, so to speak, like that there's something more. So if you if you suppress that, then everything drives this way, and then it comes back to like, like the person. You start to cul-de-sac everything towards the making, and what that does is it starts to demand that certain making is the one we exalt and worship. And so, and you see whole institutions built on this, yeah. where they say only modernist abstraction is the thing, and before that, it's like impressionism. I mean, impressionism changed the way we see reality, and and then you get modernism, but. But then, you know, uh, you've you've suffered this. I've suffered like long ago in the past, but uh, you dare to make a figure painting and then you're you're told that's passe, except for now everybody's making figure paintings. Mm -hmm. So so the fickleness of chasing down which thing to worship and it's like, well, maybe it's all wrong at the expense of these great things that we're making that are being crushed under the weight of improper expectation. Maybe if these are the outflow that's that looks to celebrate and point to the richness that is in front of us and then we don't really have to worry about who makes what and what is it in you know pitted against what necessarily and it becomes more about um i don't know the 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 situational impact of each thing as it's made because we recognize that there's something i'm just saying for me 
something more changes the way you sort out this conversation. If there's not, then it really becomes a, a raw power grab and who, who possesses the most power. Because how else do you explain the diversity? You know, in, 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 in making and in people, like, um, who, who gets to say? I mean, that's, Dave Hickey just died, and he said that back in the 90s. He's like, uh, there is power on the table, but because of postmodernism, no one knows how to grab it. Because it was like sort of the death of the author, the, de the death of authority or authorial intent. And so now it's, it's kind of like mob rules in a way. Um, and so art gets lost at the expense of mob rules, I think, a little bit. I don't even know if that, that's, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm somewhere in my own head probably way more than I, I should be at this point. It's usually no art gallery in the middle of a, a mob. That's right? true. That's right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's yeah. hard to make an art gallery while people yeah. are that's fussing why up. That's why Instagram exists. That's, oh, no. There's no art I mean, gallery. yeah. All hail meta. And TikTok is making <laughs> young people have uh, Tourette's later in life. Oh, the twit, like people yeah. are getting ticks from ticks TikTok. And, I've and seen they say that. Beans, yeah. It's like a real thing. Yeah. Uh -huh. I find it, um, while you were scary. talking, I was thinking about uh, uh, my, um, he was my high school painting teacher, and uh, he's a really good friend, uh, Mark Pahanek. He's a brilliant painter. Um, his wife's brilliant too, uh, Dolly Holmes. And I just visited their studios uh, this past week down in awesome. Petersburg. And, you know, he would always tell me, he said, like, Miguel, the better you get at painting, the more different types of painting you'll find yourself appreciating. Hmm. And I think that's so incredibly true. Um, and I think it's because when you... It's so funny. I, I say that I didn't prepare for these talks and I didn't consciously, but I feel like everything, every other conversation I've had and every movie I've watched over the past <laughs> week and stuff <laughs> is just like burning in my mind now because all of it relates back to what's been said. Mm -hmm. And um, I was uh, just talking with my friend John about how, you know, there, there's sort of like these different, I think, spheres of um i it's a kind of a model in my head there's there's kind of like inner like overlapping and kind of increasingly widening sort of spheres around the truth of an experience and the sphere that's the furthest out is sort of like the uh the linguistic mm -hmm. the political you mm -hmm. know the kind of like signs and representations not because it's like that that's sort of like what we need in order to exist is like a social animal but it's sort of like the furthest mm -hmm. uh level of communication from communicating like the truth of an experience and as you move in you know it becomes uh increasingly increasingly difficult to talk about mm -hmm. as you get closer and closer to the thing to you finally when you're approaching the thing like you know, you're you're expressing and you're communicating in a place where language can't go, mm -hmm. and um, and I feel like when you when you're close to that center, which any I think true, uh, I think a lot of people try to stay in that outer sphere. Mm -hmm. It's sort of what you said about like um, you put it well about having to choose between being known 
and having the experience. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, they want to be in that space where they are knowable. But when you move kind of to the, to the center, you get this vantage point where you can look out in every direction suddenly or many more directions and suddenly you see the, the, the validity and the truth and what so many other people are doing. Because you can suddenly, because from the center you can look out and see how everyone is relating back to these common experiences and common truths. Whereas if you're out on the periphery, you know, kind of in this, uh, um, you know, my favorite topic, making conceptual art, you know, like making artwork that is dependent upon socially prescribed notions of truth, where the goal is not to provide an experience, but to make a clear statement. It's mm -hmm. like, um, I would go so far to say make an unclear statement. Yeah. <laughs> an unclear statement. Um, but you know, people who are overly concerned with like correct in interpretations and, um, you know, when you're staying out, out there, I, I feel like you're so far away from the genesis. Mm -hmm. You know, you talking about, like, the burning bush, mm -hmm. you know, and, and this fire being the fire that the golden lamb is cast in and stuff. And that, and that us, you know, as we create, you know, that we are creating, I think, oftentimes on an unconscious level creating in relation to something mm -hmm. always. And I think that something is, is sort of like that, that center of the sphere. Mm -hmm. And, um, when you're close to it, there's, there's great empathy mm -hmm. and there's great appreciation for artists who other artists, other makers who are even doing work that might be stylistically the total opposite yeah. of where you're going. It's only the artist I know who stay out on the periphery uh, concerned about being known yep. and being correctly interpreted. Yeah, and being in the safe side of whatever has been constructed as the and safe it, side to be on. And, and honestly, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm poking fun at conceptual art, but I would, I've known a lot of abstract painters. Totally. I've known many, many figurative painters Absolutely. guilty it's, of this. It's ever Respecter of no person in that yeah. sense. And do, you, do you know one of the ways that we know this? Like I was thinking about this though. So one, you know, one of the ways to validate your point is I think um, when someone can really sing and they do it, if, if someone really can sing a lot of times, it'll override your preference for music. Like mm -hmm. you may not still prefer what they're singing, but when they sing and you get the unvol, the, uh, the goose, you get the chills because they resonate something in you to where you're like, whoa, like I wasn't expecting that. You still may not even necessarily like the music, but it become it's almost so um, a kind of such an essential expression that hits at a kind of truthfulness mm -hmm. um, about the sort of the. Um, I always think of the internal workings of the chest and the throat and the larynx and the stomach and the way we can. It's like a kind of a internal cathedral that exalts the voice up into you know the air. So like. When, it, when all the architecture of the internals come together and this voice comes out and you see uh, the honesty of a facial expression, not the contrived one, but like when, you know, when you, really good singers, when they really sing a lot of times, their faces are like, you know, but the faces make sense to the sound. And so there's a, there's a, there's an accordance there. 
um, it just resonates. It's true with you. And I think I, I'm trying to think of like, I don't know if I think that's one of the places where I, I think most humans can still recognize something very human happening this creative or, or makerly, if you will, or expressive and all of these things. And it holds to your point, actually, that it, it, um, it can kind of bypass a lot of preference. It can bypass the periphery. It's like, even if you're super, you know, on the edge and, and actively pursuing what you're talking about, some people like that will hate someone when they can come in and sing, you know, like, Mm -hmm. because it's like the real just ran against the contrived. I feel like too, um, in the conversations I've had with you guys, uh, both on the podcast and off air, I feel like we all four of us together on numerous occasions now have taken that same trajectory. You know, I, I like I think at the beginning of this series is kind of us being more on the periphery. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and, um, you know, my friend John, he's, you know, he told me this morning, he said, like, I love the part two because he says part two is because he's like that's when it got real mm-hmm. you know that's when it became <laughs> intimate he's like you know that's where it, that's when you guys revealed yourselves as not just thinkers but like mm-hmm. fully human yeah yeah and that's what really connected with him and and i told him i, I listened to the episodes and i was like yeah and I, was like, I totally agree um and i felt it i felt it yeah yeah exactly yeah, mm-hmm. right. yeah it was you could feel that something transcendent happened, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of, there was a threshold that we kind of pass through. Um, well, cause you have to kind of make a choice. I mean, cause we have to start somewhere, right. And you yeah. make a choice. And, uh, and so that's always my wrestle is like, Oh, me and Gareth, I mean, we have unbridled conversation all the time. So we could like, <laughs> yeah. so we're, we are habituated that way because of our time together. And, mm-hmm. you know, so you're, you're like always wrestling with how far, what is good for our listener? How far do we go? Because you can you can get into some space, like you know. I'll say you things think that we I can't get weird take back. You should hear the conversations we, we don't, don't have. Yeah, they're probably always better. <laughs> yeah, um, but I feel like we've been getting. So I think with you guys in the mix, like I think we started to bleed into that together. So to your point, I think that's probably true. As we, well, I think, I mean, those. with what what are you talking about? One of the things that comes into my mind, talking about you know suffering and everything you're mentioning, Miguel. Um, is that I think like there's maybe even something under the surface with artists where what we are fighting against and the suffering that we kind of live in, the water that we're swimming in, is a feeling of alienation because we usually stop at that place. Mm. You know, and the the arts like, say that again. Like the 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 suffering, the water we swim in may be a feeling of alienation, mm. you know, from one another, from from the world itself. And so, you know, I was telling a friend last night, I was at his house and uh, we had dinner and it was just a nice time when we were talking and I said I went to the Met about four years ago, and I turned a corner, and uh, Cy Twombly's Dutch Interior was there, and it punched me in the face. Like mm-hmm. I, ha- I literally had to sit down. Yeah. And I haven't had an experience with a painting like that before. That mm-hmm. most of them, I've just been like, I can really appreciate. This. I had that with Cy Twombly at the Philadelphia Museum of Art. Dude, I, it's, it's floored. I mean, I, it and it was, it was a wall that kind of jutted out into the space. You came around in kind of a serpentine fashion, and you see it, and it's huge. And yeah. It's there, and it's, and it's that painting and there's a bench in front thank god because i had to just really sit down mm-hmm. and just sit there for a minute and there was probably like an audible oh, because there was something about that that like through life death time space all of that like there was something there that like i feel like broke some of that alienation mm-hmm. 
that it was just like, it was such a real, it was a physical experience mm-hmm. with that. And there's very few things to do that. I've seen some films that do that for me, that mm-hmm. you're just like, you sit down afterwards and you're quiet, right? Yeah. There's like a reverence because you're like that, that did something. Like yep. it broke some of that alienation and I can't understand it. Um, but I think maybe that's even some of it is that we are so, we are so, so poised and primed as a society in general, as a, and I don't mean right now, 2021, I mean like, I don't know, last however long you want to go back mm-hmm. to stop at a point where connection cannot happen. Mm-hmm. And then we see artists who are making work that goes into, you know, self and other things. And we're like, okay, you've stopped at a point where connection can happen mm-hmm. instead of pushing into it. Cause it's hard. It's tough because they're suffering to stay out of it, but they're suffering to go into it mm-hmm. and then put it out there and be like, hope everybody doesn't hate me. Yeah. Cause it's like at a pop level, you can be like, woe is me. People don't really accept artists. Yeah. But you could also be the person who bur- burrows in and like, woe is me. People don't accept me because I'm actually uh, opening up a space that requires a conversation or right. it's, I'm, I'm pressing things into a state of feelings or emotions. It's like, you know, Miguel saying like, who's going to buy this painting, you know, because they're going to be reminded of this like s- sadness. Right. But, but there are people that, um, you know, that do that. So, you know, that do one of the things I was going to, I brought up the whole burning bush thing is because you're talking about language and you talked about language and you're getting it. You're, you're, you know, you're using language and you're, you're talking about like this precipice where we mm-hmm. make choices. And, and, um, one of my favorite authors, his name is Andy Wilson. He, he, he writes this kind of, um, kind of picture where he says like, that there's a God and, and everything is spoken. Like everything, everything, everything is spoken. Like this mic, this the closure where everything's spoken by God. And then there's the particular speech of human beings. So he's like, you basically live in a spoken narrative world that's upheld in a present tense way. So you're sort of existing in a song that's being sung and you're being, you're being given time to join in and sing, sing along. And so the words start to work when they're sung in chorus. So language starts to make sense when you're actually hearing the song. When you don't hear the song, language doesn't get you as close. You start, so you, you, you get to the center of the, the, the feelings, but you don't get the sense that's made through the words. You get, so you get partial sense, you get body knowledge, but you don't get head sense. Yeah. So then what people do is they, they go the other direction, they go to the periphery and they get head sense, but they don't get body experience. Mm-hmm. And cause, cause of the, the, the idea that the, these are broken, these are broken pieces. And so in the theological picture that Andy Wilson is creating, he's like, everything is put back together again. And then the song starts to make sense. And the words and the experience come together and they, they, they are something that neither can be or is apart from each other. And there's so much more to that. But, but I, so I, I actually think about the world as like all spoken and upheld like a poem or a narrative song poem, <laughs> um, and which means I include myself as a, as as contingently spoken until I until I'm not, which means I'm um, my agency is a contingent um, state uh, that has an independence to it and an invitation to make and to generate and to uh, uh, share. And to create invitational spaces to really come to the, uh, the campfire, so to speak, and understand, if you will. It's, <clears throat> I like that idea of um, you know the words are making better when you're 
singing in, you know, communion with the song that is mm-hmm. the world. Um, and uh, I know that sounds so sappy, but I mean that it sounds, seriously. Yeah, um, but I, I, I'm thinking about it, and I'm thinking back on, you know, the the conversation before we started recording about the the um, perce- uh, dissonance as being a matter of perception. Yep. And and now I'm also thinking about what I was saying about when you move towards a more uh, towards sort of a when you get closer to you know, the, the truth of an experience in and look out, you can see a greater context. Mm-hmm. And that greater context gives you greater appreciation and understanding of others. And um, and I'm just, and then even what you're saying about like how, like making art uncomfortable because you, maybe you're opening up a space, mm-hmm. you know, so now I'm thinking about like, you know, maybe that space that like artists are making that makes people uneasy it is like that overtone, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's like that pitch that, that naturally resonates, mm-hmm. you know, it's, that's just the fabric of the world, but it's not something that in our musical system we would consider to be consonant, mm-hmm. but it is there and that to perceive it and to hear it is something resonant as opposed to disruptive takes a perspective that sees how these things two things are both a part of a, a much bigger, Mm -hmm. uh, harmonic system. Yes. And, and, and I guess being able to, you could use that to talk about, um, you know, artist Mm -hmm. and maybe art that doesn't immediately appeal to you or art doesn't Mm -hmm. resonate with you that maybe it's a matter of, uh, going the, having the bridges Yes. To get there. Absolutely. And, um, and what uh, you were saying about um, sitting in front of the side Twombly and that, you know, mm-hmm. and it being audible, it's really funny you say that because I was at the VMFA yesterday and John went into the room with the Voyards. <laughs> and yeah. of course, that's been closed for years and they're, yeah. and it's open again. The Melon, Dude, the melon Collection. Dude, finally, it's, man. It's amazing. And, we went in there and it was just, and John, he did that. Like he walked in, he looked at uh, the first two full yards and I just heard him go <sighs> like that. Like just, you know, so much enthusiasm, but also just like this relief washed mm-hmm. over him. And he was truly having, like these paintings were really acting on him. Mm-hmm. And then I turn and look and these two like, 20 something basic assholes like this couple that are everybody listening you know exactly what i mean by basic and you i i promise you picture them in your head yes that is exactly who i'm talking about um they start they start mocking him yeah and they uh, and they make fun of his enthusiasm for painting for and real he, yeah Dude. oh my god yeah, and he didn't in and he all right didn't, he didn't notice and i didn't say anything at the yeah, time because suck. because i knew i knew how precious that moment was that he was having yeah and i'm just and i was like he deserves that moment and then you yeah. know later you know a long time a while later i was like yeah man you know there are these people and 
But yeah, but again, it's sort of like what made them so uncomfortable. And of course, they never they looked at him, but they didn't look at the paintings. Yeah, yeah. you know, and it and, and it's because they, they didn't it, even tr- they didn't even try yeah to understand yeah what or, he saw or there's not before an, they mocked him. There's not an in, this, so so it's a knee jerk response to sincerity yeah and so there's such a profound blindness um this is what i meant you're either so for me you're either um faithful towards the end of being humanized in a greater amounts based on my own kind of beliefs and or you're you're being further removed from that you're working in the op- you're you're operating in suppression of that in a kind of rebellion against this truth and so um in rebellion you have to exchange um your like kind of like the truth of the world at large, or you're kind of assuming a kind of self-righteousness that is an active suppression of what's true that would demand that you're not the center. So when you move to being at the center of the universe and you're, you're, you haven't really, you don't know anything, you can't afford to be opened up to anything because uh, you have to, you have to come in with a willing to risk yourself every time you come into a gallery, you have to risk being changed. I think you have to risk being changed in conversations like this. You have to risk being changed if if you're going to endeavor to think about first things, philosophy, theology, art, religion, whatever you want to call it. All of those things require it. Every conversation, you you actually have to risk it. It's it's a risk. Most people are risk averse, Mm -hmm. and most people are deeply looking for self-assurance and in a kind of elitism, right? So, So a person like that is standing at the bottom of a mountain, assuming it's the top, and they are ashamed uh, at anyone who rightly sees what's there um, because it's an embarrassment to their elitism, because uh, it's an affront to their closeness. They're closed off in their arrogance. And they have to be because it's self-preservation. I need to be able to mock you so as to seem above you. And because I don't get it, which I always love because I'm like, I don't know how many things you actually get um, when it comes to life in general. It takes time as we... We've talked about um, you've already cheapened art uh, before you ever gave it a, a, a second look, but you, I guarantee you, you also cheapen your relationships with people too, because you don't, you either get them or you don't. And what you're really saying is it either reinforces me or it doesn't. That's what you're really saying. Mm. This doesn't reinforce me. So I'm not going to lift a finger to it because I'm too busy upholding to myself. And then here's somebody who's like open and they, I mean, there's a little Van Gogh over there. Mm-hmm. It's one I got a picture of it because I just like, oh my gosh. This Van Gogh is. I know what you're talking the little about. The boat, little boat scene, the little, this mm-hmm. the little like, and mm-hmm. so it's like a Richard Diebenkorn and a Matisse and a Van Gogh hanging out together in my mind. And it just, every time I'm like, oh, and just so <laughs> thankful, man. Like, I'm just like, I came in there and had the same thing. We, Lord, and the kids, all of us were like, Phew, so glad this is open again. Thank uh-huh. you. I forgot how much I miss this place. Um, And, uh, but you got to be willing. You got to be willing to be open. And so, most people aren't cracked open. Yeah. Well, I know. I, so I was talking about a friend the other day, and we were talking about like physical exercise, and we were talking about some connections, and um, it was just uh, one of those things where um, we were talking about um, how um, like exercise is tough, right? It's like not an easy thing to really stick with. Also, it's an even harder thing to start. And I shared. I said, "Yeah, I found a." a an article the other day, it was like in a medical journal, it was talking about physiology and it said that we don't, uh, our bodies don't actually want to do things until we are doing them. Mm-hmm. 
And we exist in a society where what we do is mentally prep ourselves. We are like, hey, yeah, here's exactly what it's going to be. Let me get ready for it. And uh, then I'll do it. So you have things like running. Like you can can just really just be like, I'm going to run. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get up. And your body's like, no, you're not. Mm. I don't want to. Heck yeah. But you start running and you're like, okay. That's when they start talking about things like, you know, people who go to the gym or runner's highs and things like that because your body is actually kind of getting into this space where doing the thing, like it, it it's almost like habituation towards actions mm-hmm. are in there. Mm-hmm. It's like hard-coded. Yeah. And so, so it's definitely one thing for me that's hard-coded I always want to do. Yeah. You know. Well, the uh, I think it's like, but then you, you take it into a <laughs> negative sense and you talk about like these 20-year-olds in the museum, like... If what you've done is you've habituated yourself, like your body's almost in a way, like you're moving so much towards like that brokenness of society yeah. that you've habituated yourself into like, I have no other way to approach the world but to look at everybody and go, look at you idiots. Yeah. And it's you like, don't even know you're doing it. It's like atrophied it's like, into like a post-ironic sarcasm and be like, this is what I'm comfortable being. Yeah. And you're, and at that point you're even alienated, I would say from even your ability to be a true person. Well, what that true self, that's right. It's dehumanizing. And what's really funny about that is here's how small it is. Those two people are they're They're so alienated from each other that their first concern is how to get more connected by pointing out. Right. So like it just exposes how, how disconnected they are such that they have to, do this to feel closer together because yeah. they're not even close, you know? So, I mean, that's, that's how pro, that's, so the phenomena of self sort of exaltation or whatever, a lot of times uh, results in reductivism or a reductionism of self mm-hmm. to the, to the detriment of everyone else around as well. Um, and you can see the fruit that like there, I mean, gosh, dude, mm, yep. universities are struggling right now for this very reason and no one can figure it out. And it is comical. It it's is. not comical. It frustrates the mess out of me, but it, it, it's comical, though. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Miguel, you wanted to ask Ian about his beard? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's not. It's looking really full. It's, it's been looking good. I'm proud of him. Yeah. It does look nice. It's been a long <laughs> time I knew coming. when it looked like he just had a couple butt hairs on his, <laughs> his upper lip. It didn't look like I cut them off. <laughs> And glued on the. That was an art. That was an art foundation project. <laughs> that was right. That's when I was in that state of post irony. That's like, but this art is such shit that I too will. <laughs> um, so I was wondering with with endeavor. I feel like you are tapped into an audience that, like, when I think about going to endeavor shows and stuff like that. Um, I really felt like it was a the people they not only the people showing the work, but the people in the gallery were other emerging artists. It kind of in a in coming out in sort of a um, a fullness that you don't see at very many openings and stuff in Richmond, not by a long shot. And uh, which one like. Congratulations! That's an amazing accomplishment mm-hmm. that you guys have done. And uh, but two is, you know, when I look at that, a lot of the work and stuff I saw, um, I think unconsciously I, I, I I've always been wondering like, who out here is a, among my peers is 
digging deep. And I would look for it not only in like the artist and the artwork, but it also in listening to people's responses to how like, you know, I, I remember standing in there and I'd I'd listen when people say something snarky about the work you guys put up. I'd listen when mm. somebody is like, you know, loving it and stuff. And I feel like um, through Endeavor, I feel like there there. I wouldn't do that because I feel like most openings I go to, like, let's be real. Like I kind of already, I very, it's, I very, I often see people that I've seen at openings in Richmond since I was six years old, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's kind of the, the, the old guard, the same crew, yeah. Yeah. same perfume. Yeah. <laughs> you guys got Avon, like, Avon and cigarettes, but I feel like you guys have a, a more honest, uh, kind of cross-section of people. And so I, I, I'm very, I guess, curious about what you have observed uh, in the artist you represented, uh, you know, through these shows, as well as, um, you know, the, the, the people who would come out and stuff. Like, are there any, like, concerns are there any tendencies like a lot of times i feel like i i I still kind of feel too much vcu like -hmm. i feel like it's like people haven't moved far enough away from vcu yet Mm -hmm. and and they're kind of in that transition where they haven't quite become themselves but they're working really hard on it you know ian's done that i'm in seriousness i think yeah ian's one of the for me from being from being a professor at vcu ian's one of the best examples that is local that I think is really like, because it's, you kind of always were anyways, but anyhow. Yeah, now that I'm talking, I'm realizing yeah. just how broad and huge my question it's a huge, is. I'm trying That's to figure out where to so. Dude, Miguel, you just dropped a freaking huge question. <laughs> Did you just start another uh, series? Yeah. yeah. Did you just, but Huge. It's I, a bad deal. But yeah, I mean, but I guess, well, let, let me make it more concise. So do you think that the... Um, these dynamics we're talking about regarding suffering um, and as well as celebration. Um, Do you see that in the artist and in the audiences that you've engaged? Yeah. To, to be (laughs) quick capsule. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I, there's been, there's been so many moments from the past, like five years of officially doing it. Granted, we haven't been doing it recently because of the, the step back to step forward, the building process that there's going to be a lot to talk about soon. Uh, so in the times that it happened, there was so many times that I, whoever was around me, like definitely Eli, like countless times mm-hmm. that I was just like, I wish just like, just capture this moment of someone having the true earnestness. There was, I I don't necessarily know why other than I don't know how else to do it. Like that sincerity is something that I always sought in galleries and I was continually turned around even now. So going to galleries that there is like some sense of a dismissal, like an aura or like a membrane you can't pierce Mm -hmm. a club and you ain't in it sort of deal. And there's been many people that have confided in me privately as like, 
You've never stated it. It's never been like, we are going to do this. This is in our mission statement. There was just a quiet understanding, obviously that grew over time, that this was just a place that was okay for everyone, whether the suffering that they're going through, the happy place that they're going through, the celebration that they're engaging in. There was whatever it was, this tiny little thousand square foot right angle triangle of a building, people just felt welcome, were welcomed, and that became more and more reflected into our shows to the point of the last show having 39 artists in it and it being like a show that hadn't happened in Richmond before. I, for me personally, like running and being on top of it and working with people, I don't know why that was. It isn't even so much as a pursuit as it just seems like it's an obvious understatement rather than, you know, codifying it. And we're not, it's not going to be like vinyl on the wall and be like, everyone is welcome here. Like it should be mm. implicit in the space when you go, when you go to it and reflected in the people there. And, mm-hmm. uh, I just had, I didn't just had it. Wow. Some, it's some time ago now, earlier this year was the little giants show. And crazy enough, it was, uh, my stepdad, Tom's biological brother who from his family, <clears throat> he was separated from his biological, mm. he was adopted when he was younger and he spent many years by himself and so it's his biological brother technically yet in their dynamics you would never know yeah and and so much and so he he's very much like uh very rural virginia works on farms uh but it also has like an it background so just an interesting character and him being in a gallery uh it's not something he does basically and so tom had invited him out and he didn't say anything i saw him there because he's like six foot eight or so, he's a Whoa. gigantic human. I saw him I'm like Tom is crap. definitely not six eight. That's what Gosh. it's strange genes yeah. going on, you know. And I saw him there and like immediately just thankful for it. And yeah. he didn't say anything. He's barely talking to people, but he is like looking at the work. I was like, like he's really engaging with it. And I can get swept up. First Fridays are crazy, and yep. I wish there was mom- more moments I could sit back and just listen to what people are saying. But I was very consciously made a note like he's here. And he's, he's truly observing the work, which, you know, as a maker, you want to see that. So it being there, everyone clears out. He's there all night. At the end of the night, he had left as people were leaving and decided to come back in as I'm closing. And he's like, he, he like shook my hand. He's like, you know, I just have to tell you, like, I was looking at this work and I'm, I'm also not saying this story. This is not braggadocious. Like, this is a very rare thing, but he's like the... The work, I've never seen something like that. I've never seen a space. Everyone that I saw here before, I just feel thankful that this show happened, even if I'm not talking about the work. The work brought him to tears. And he was telling, I'm like, I'm getting teary-eyed when he's telling me that. And I don't know, I don't necessarily know how to like encapsulate the question of what you're saying. It's just, I think that spirit is just in Richmond and there's, there's a problem with people who are running spaces. It's I, I, honestly, I think there's a, a top down issue in Richmond. There's no matter what, even through the entirety of the pandemic, everything that's happened, the separation of people, the difficulties that we experienced here. I mean, the riots, the protest, everything, the racial divisions that we constantly find ourselves in. It's like Richmond just like cannot be stopped for being a creator centric city. 
I mean, it's truly why I'm here. There's there's no other aspect like the river's nice. There's cool places you can go to. There's good spots to eat. But the creator world in Richmond is just so lush. I mean, it's like it cannot be stopped no matter what happened. And so Endeavor started as me seeing that, finding other people alongside me that uh, I was inspired by when I was working in VCU and then simply just trying to tap into that which already is. So I, I don't want to take any credit for that in saying with Endeavor, uh, granted, it's been an immense amount of hard work. I just see that as already being the case and it just needing a place to show up more and more. You guys are, you guys are wetting the balloon or the, the ball come out Let of the Let the water. ball come up. There we go. Yeah, yeah. You're, no you're, suppressing. You're, so you're That's working, right. you're working, you're working with the grain of things and not against the contrived grain. So like that, if you start thinking of the world in those terms, like right. Richard, I mean, not to toot our home, but Richard Haley comes and does his show from Detroit. He's shown in LA at major galleries. He's shown in LA a couple times at a major gallery in a space with other major LA galleries. And he said there was more diversity at his opening than he's right. seen in any other time. Well, that was age uh, diversity, me kids adversity, yeah, yeah, yeah. American, like, like you name it. He was like, this is so crazy. Like, I don't know how, how like this happens, but it's like that was the most diverse audience I've ever had. Well, my an art my first seeing of it was here in Shakura Space before I really knew what it is even like to run a gallery show, do yep. a gallery show, how you even put it together, anything about it was seeing it, and then it's seeing it early and being like, and oh, this crits. is the case. Yeah, yeah, and seeing the crits that were going on, I was like, oh, this is the case, and then afterwards to see, oh, this is not the case. This is in in many senses the exception. Yeah, uh, it was. I mean, it, it is like facing the question of like, why do it any other way? Why fight against the grain? Why suppress yeah. that water why be balloon? Why 20 year olds, but as a 60 year old, yeah. <laughs> looking down at everybody who walks yes. into your gallery and making everybody. So why do we make the builder go watch the builder and then, and then ask the question that we're talking about right now? Like, like everything we do is like to put a, it's not just to put a finger that, on that. that it's is, that set course. That is a good point. I, I do feel more sympathy for the, the snarky 20 year olds, because I know what it's like to be insecure yeah. and mm -hmm. desperately looking for something external to mm -hmm. define yourself. But yeah, when you're, um, but yeah, if you're 60 and you still haven't found that, that empathy mm -hmm. and that capacity to embrace diversity and complexity, mm -hmm. um, then yeah, that's just sad. Yeah. And there there definitely was that in many of our shows that people would come through and like scoff or, or say yeah. something. And honestly, just meeting the people, because every single artist in the show would usually stick around for there. And so if you're scoffing at the work and then the artist is standing there and be like, oh, do you want to talk about it? And you're like, oh, and all of a sudden you have to yeah. you have to sit with this <laughs> yeah, thing. Why, why don't you, you actually be elitist to my face right now? That's right. And tell me what I would love to hear your thoughts. That's one of my yeah. favorite things about this moment, actually, like even for me, like there's. I've been around some snobs that have been really disrespectful and rude and have done some really awful things, but everybody has their reckoning. And I just love watching snobs and elitists have the ground taken up for under them. And I'm like, welcome, welcome down here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You don't, you don't know, actually know. It's how like watching out. the live peeling of like a hard boiled egg. Yeah. It's like the shells coming off. They're yeah. like, Oh, I'm just oh. the squishy. Oh, you, oh yeah. That's right. You don't <laughs> actually know how to hang out, hang out around here. Cause yeah. you've been too busy looking down at your nose. And, and now, and now you don't know what to do. Yeah. And it's like, well, uh, we just don't have to do it that way from the get-go. Yeah. Why don't we figure out why it is that you felt like you had to? And and you can actually say that because going back to what we talked about earlier, that the world is actually this amazingly rich, robust thing. Yeah. Then I don't have to be hoarding part of it for myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if it is this like tired, 
really terrible, boring pound of sawdust. Only just cool. Only there. cool if I make if I make yeah. fun of it. Then what you got to do is you got to take all of it, put it together as much as you can for yourself, and just say, "Hey, I've got it. You don't." Um, but you know, I think at the end of the day, like how much we all despise those people and despise ourselves for being those people in the past. Um, I think points to the question that like, there's actually a whole lot of world a whole lot of rich, deep, deep world to go around that we can actually have, like, I mean, at this table have four people who do very different things and not feel weird by it, Mm -hmm. but also have, um, two galleries present in the same, let's be honest, pretty small city Mm -hmm. doing things, out of the same sort of mindset and hopefulness and not feel weird about it. Yeah. No, and also, not even yeah. feel constrained yeah. either. Right. Like, right. oh no, it's we're right. running out of artists. It's like, yeah. no, yeah. Yeah. no way. It's not <laughs> it's even a little funny, bit. Even where your show is little giants. I was just thinking like, just kind of a weird side. Like I saw one of my favorite all time, maybe all time favorites. So I'm an old dude. So I love sunny day real estate. And Jeremy Innick was singing at, um, where you showed your, What's that? What's the gallery you're at? Black Iris. Black Iris. So yeah. I went and saw Jeremy Ennick sing at Black Iris, and we talked afterwards for a minute. And he was just like talking about like not when they they I saw them in 2009, Sunny Day get back together in DC, <clears throat> and it was like amazing. And then they're like a ten months later, like we just can't do this um, because there's reasons. But this is going somewhere. When I was talking talking with Jeremy, he said, you know, he's like he just offered it up. He's like he's like he's like got he's got a rest. He's like, what, what's the being famous just sucks, man. He's like, it's just not, he just cannot be in the spotlight and all the elitism and, and, and what it attracts. And so there's this weird tension of making great art that draws all these, this baggage with it. And so it's like, how do you maintain the culture without losing yourself to being known in a certain kind of way and how those, you know, and so I've, I, we talked about that. His career is like a wrestling match with like, so he's like doing like, he was doing like, um, sh- uh, performances in small spaces that constrained him so that he couldn't have to bring like a big band and like, oh, yeah. do you know what I'm saying? I mean, he yeah, was making yeah, yeah. really, and then he's like, I'm going to, and I'll intentionally st- stop touring the really brief tours because he has to make, but he also is like resistant or uh, to, to these, some of these elitist pressures and these things that kind of come in and, and trap it. And like, when you start doing gallery stuff, man, I feel like we both have experienced this or you wrestle with like um, demands from, other places they flirt with a little bit of money or they let you into a collector base or you know all of a sudden you're like flirting with uh this could change the culture that we've got and you know it's tough man it is tough not to lose that i don't know yeah that that reminds me of uh the band they might be giants so they you know they had their time in the spotlight and then uh most people are like oh yeah i remember them from back in the day and you're like well they've been making music constantly (laughs) for the last 20 30 years and they did some similar things where, you know, uh, at least pre-COVID, they were uh, like a weekly bar band in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. You know, they were doing the bar band thing. So it was like, hey, you want to come to a show? All right, well, Thursday night at this place, yeah. bring your kids. And uh, so they did things that, you know, some people would be like, oh, that's super lame. And it's yeah. like, yeah, but we've also put out like 700 albums. Um, and they had a call in, like, a, like a, a toll-free number where every week you could call it and listen to a new song on this like that's phone awesome. line. And it was things like that where they were they were able to uh, circumvent all the stuff you're talking about yeah. to keep making, to yeah. keep being, you know. Without um, kind of losing yourself to some of the yeah. things, I guess. And I think also hard. to not be beholden to uh, a larger system of consumption 
that the art world was built off of. And I don't mean the consumption of the audience. I mean yeah. consumption of the middlemen, uh, those uh, those 60-year-old angry gallerists that we're talking about, like moving away from those people yeah. who, you know, you put a different hat on them, now they're yeah. record producers. We're not ages, by the way. I'm going to be 46 on Monday, next <laughs> Monday. I'm going to be 60 soon, so I hope. So not an ageist, by the 46 way. 46 going on 60. <laughs> uh, never mind. I was, You're going to make an ageist joke? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I, I have something very relevant to say, but... Um, About Sunny Day Real in the In the interest of uh, not causing problems, I'm going to have to wait until off air. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, hey, okay. I think uh, on I that think note... That's to, on that note, that's a great way to, to go for it, because uh, my curiosity is going to get a hold of me. Also, I think I think there's just no way around it. Uh, Miguel and Ian will just be back on multiple <laughs> times a year. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean... There's, there's too, it's too much fun. It is, and the conversations are too good, and I mean, you know, we've already... Yeah. So uh, on that note, uh, once again, thank you, Ian. Thank you, Miguel. Thank you for suffering through our ramblings. That's right. Yeah. Y'all are fantastic. And also everybody out there listening, y'all are fantastic. We love you and we will catch you on the next one. Bye. You've been listening to Shaco Art Speak, a production of Shaco Art Space. We are an independent nonprofit art gallery in Richmond, Virginia. We can be found online at shacoartspace.com and in real life in historic Shaco Bottle.